This evening's reading uh, comes uh, from James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, and then 12 to 14. Uh, That can be found uh, in the Blue Church Bibles on uh, page 1213. That's page 1213 in the Blue Church Bibles, reading from James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, followed by 12 to 14. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then lower down the page, verse 12 onwards. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. I appreciate tonight that there may be some people who don't know me still, as I've only uh, joined our church in the autumn and moved to Wells in August. I also appreciate the fact that some of you might have a hard time understanding my accent. So when I get talking fast, I I just apologize for that. I I can't change it. Um, But a, a little bit about myself. My wife and I have been married 20 years. I'm 63 years old. I just look great for my age. Uh, no, actually, we, we were married when we were 19. We grew up in the same village in, in Oklahoma. But for the last uh, 13 years, uh, actually about 14 years ago, we moved to, to Russia where, where I was an evangelist church planter in, in one region of, of central Russia for eight years and then later moved to Moscow where, where I was a, a pastor of, a, of a, a growing and vibrant gospel-centered church and and um, when the war started, um, circumstances caused us to, to have to leave. We didn't want to leave, but we didn't have much choice, and, and um, eventually our visa type was even canceled. So through an incredible story that I don't have time to go into tonight, um, but God has led me to, to Wales, and um, Lord willing, um, I just am, am exploring what, what possibilities to, to do the word ministry here in this country as I did it in Russia and, and in Oklahoma uh, before, before that. But, but if you would, um, as we turn our attention to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, that's right, we have one verse that, that we'll be talking about tonight. I would just like to lead us in prayer. Father, we're here tonight because we need your truth. We're here tonight because our minds and our hearts are broken. And we need the spirit to use your word to conform us to your image. So I pray tonight, Father, that I may be but an instrument in your hands to deliver the truth of, of your word. Pray that the spirit will work mightily in our hearts and we would cherish you and cherish the gospel and pray more as a result of this message in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So imagine for a moment with me that, that a father is cycling with his eight-year-old son on the taff trail. And, and they see a big fallen branch blocking the path. And so the father says, you should try to move that out of the way. So eagerly, the son responds and says, well, I think I can do that. And, he, and he, the, the eight-year-old gets off his bike, and, and he runs up to the branch, and, and he, he tries, and, and he tries, but he just can't lift it. He just can't move it. And so the dad says to him, well, well try with all of your strength. And so the boy tries so hard that he's just to the point of frustration and, and even tears. And finally, he shouts out, I can't do it. And then the father says, well, did you use all of your strength? He says, of course. But then the dad replies, no, son. In this occasion, you need to realize that your greatest strength was that you have a father who is ready to help you. And the dad gets off the bike, and together with his son, they pick up that branch and and move it off the trail. So tonight, as we reflect on the teaching of Jesus about how we should pray, we come to Matthew 6.13 and these words. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one in the NIV. Deliver us from the evil one. So we have to realize that when we do not pray for God's help in overcoming our temptation, we are much like that boy trying on his own to to move the branch over the trail. For Christians, the the words of Jesus' model prayer, unfortunately, have become so familiar to us that that we can slip into a a mode of, of mindless repetition instead of wholehearted reflection. Do you reflect in your prayer time about the depth of your sin? Do you reflect about temptation that that may be crouching at your door? But this prayer, it shows us how we can mindfully trust in God's help not to sin. So Jesus taught us this because we are powerless in avoiding temptation. And we are helpless in the face of temptation. Yet this prayer also reminds us that, that Jesus offers us the power to overcome sin through the power of the gospel. And so I want to help you see these things by, by answering three questions tonight. First question is, why would we pray not to be led into temptation? The next question is, why would God lead us into temptation? And then finally, how does God deliver us from evil? So why pray not to be led into temptation? I just want to warn you all, I'm going to have a bunch of verses on, on the wall here, on our slides. I'm not going to read all of them, but, I, but just because of the nature of a, a one-verse sermon, I, I just feel like there, my, 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 my thoughts were developed by a lot of different scriptures, and I want you to see that I'm not just making stuff up as I go along here, that, that the things that I'm teaching are based on the, the word of God, but I won't be reading all of them. So take out your phones and take pictures of these slides as they, they go across if, if this topic begins to get interesting to you. So lead us not into temptation. So before we can get into the implications of this prayer, we, we have to make sure what it is and is not saying. So the Bible talks about temptation really in in two different ways. 
The first one is in the negative sense of the word. Temptation can mean in enticing someone to sin. So at first, when we read this with, with that definition in mind, it sounds like Jesus could be saying, you know, sometimes God tempts people to sin. We should ask him really not to do that. But Jesus didn't, didn't suggest this. The apostle James says, says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So Jesus is not suggesting that God engages in soliciting you and me to sin. No, the prayer is not, Father, don't tempt us. The prayer is, do not lead us into temptation. So the other biblical understanding then is that temptation is kind of in a neutral sense of the word. It's a word meaning testing or trial. So so the verses that, that Toby just read to us were from James chapter 1. And the word translated temptation here in Matthew chapter 6 is the same word from the Greek in James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials or, in the old King James, temptations. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials, or again, in other translations it might say, temptations. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So James is using the, the, the same word to, to, to mean this, this time of, of testing. To God tempts no one. But follower of, follower, followers of Christ know that, that we have weaknesses in certain circumstances. And so in prayer, we're seeking to be kept far from anything that, that may bring us to the doorsteps of sin. And I think that's what, what Jesus had in mind here. So, however, but by like solving this first problem with this difficult word temptation, I've just created another problem based upon the verses Toby read in James. Thanks, Toby. So, what's, what's the other problem? Well, should we really ask God not to bring us into these moments of trial, these moments of testing, these moments of temptation? which could work to our benefit? After all, James said, consider it, count it pure joy when you face trials. The one who perseveres under trial is blessed. Don't we want to be blessed? Why would we pray this? It's crazy. Well, think about it this way. So, carrots are really good for you. Am I right? But if you eat nothing but carrots, what happens? Have some medical professionals in this room, I assume? Your, your skin starts to turn yellow. I, I remember uh, in, in Russia, it was quite common for, for a lot of churches to do outreach ministry to, to help people in addiction by setting up very primitive, self-funding, uh, self-funded uh, re- rehabilitation center, centers. And I remember one time our church got, got a call from a, a rehab center that we, we partnered with, and they said, for a month now, the, the, we've been basically feeding them carrot soup. All we've had, the only food we've had were, were carrots. And the guys are starting to look a little bit funny. Can, can you give us some potatoes? Can you give us some green vegetables? Can you give us some meat? You see, God will give his children a balanced diet of the things that are good for us. So it's okay to say, Dad, this, I've had carrots. 
I've had carrot salad. I've had carrot soup. I've had carrot souffle. Oh, this Friday, can I please have fish and chips? You see, this request isn't inconsistent with with God's ways. So the New Testament tells us that there will be times of, of war that we must endure. But then we are instructed to pray for the authorities to give us peaceful and quiet lives. Jesus told his disciples that they should rejoice when persecuted. Nevertheless, he told them to flee to the next town if the opportunity should lend itself. So similarly, a a prayer requesting to be spared of intense trials, it doesn't mean that, that we can't still rejoice when God sends trials our way, if he should find it good for his children. So the heart of this prayer is not asking God to save us from from suffering. But we're asking God to save us from from sinning. So this prayer reflects an understanding of our our frailty and limitation, our our vulnerability to, to the situations in which God places us. Because when, when we're pressed, and when things get really, really difficult, we're, we're, pray, we're prone to committing all kinds of sin. We're absolutely susceptible to it. The fact is, without God's help, we are defenseless in the face of all trials and temptations. And so we petition God, Father, do not even let me near the allure of sin. We need to ask God for that that same mercy that that he showed King Abimelech. Do you remember this story? When Abraham was was staying in in Abimelech's territory, he told him that that Sarah was his sister. And if you don't know the story, Sarah was actually his wife. And and since Sarah was a beautiful woman, the, the king claimed her. And he brought Sarah into his home. But then God intervenes. See, Sarah and Abimelech were, were not even put into a situation to sleep together. No, he, it, it says that he didn't even approach her. So yeah, Abimelech then, then goes to sleep, and God confronts him in a dream saying, you'll die if you take this woman. So Abimelech pleads for mercy. He says, but I didn't even know she was married. And then God says to him in Genesis chapter 20, verse 6, In this dream, he says, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. Then hear these words. So I have kept you from sinning against me. This is why I did not let you touch her. I did not let you sin against me. Oh, God, keep us from sinning in this way. Do not lead us into temptation. Do you think about that? Do you, do you think about how, how God might be working right now in your life? God might have worked today and he might be working tomorrow to keep you from sinning against him. It's just his grace. It's, it's his mercy. And interestingly, the scriptures show us that one of the ways God intervenes is, is by dispatching angels to serve us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's you and me, church. That's you and me, Christian. 
Now, I'll be honest. I personally don't tend to think about the ministry of angels as much as I probably should. Especially when you see there's a lot written about them in, in, in the Bible. However, Scripture tells us that every single day they are around us, actively serving, and we're not even aware of their works. But the Scripture does give us some some basic descriptions of of their secret missions, and I'm I'm not going to, to read all of them, but you see them on the screens, but just a few of them. It says that angels protect God's people from injury. It says that they fight God's spiritual enemies. They even strengthen our bodies so that we can serve the Lord. And I believe that that in eternity, one of the reasons that that we are going to, to praise God again and again and again is because he's going to show us the ways that he led us away from temptation. Do you pray for this kind of intervention? Or do you think that you've got temptation under control? Paul told the church in Corinth, if anyone thinks he stands, be careful lest he fall. See, we need to be people that are humble enough to pray for God's mercy. Lead us not into temptation. Don't let me sin against you. We must recognize that, that we are actually just like, like toddlers walking along the road with, with our parents, oblivious to most of everything that's going on around us. We're going down the street. We don't even realize that dad lifted us over a puddle. He avoided a stray dog that's, that, was, that was running loose and, and stopped at the zebra crossing so that we didn't get hit by a bus. We live in blissful ignorance, don't we? Ignorance of the, the many ways which God is pouring out his grace and pouring out his mercy and just, just covering us with his protection. And this prayer reminds us of it. Oh, but we need to pray. We need to pray. Father, take, take my hand. Guard me and guide me. And what loving father would not be happy to answer that prayer? Especially in those moments when he realizes that's exactly what's best for you. And lay your head down tonight. If you get safely home and say, God, I know you were working today. Praise God that today he did not let, lead you into temptation. But now we have to ask ourselves, would God let us, lead us into temptation? Or more so, why would he lead us into temptation if he does? So I have an entire point dedicated to one word, but. So in the second half of this prayer, you're going to notice this little word, but. It's one of my favorite words in the, in the Bible. Because it just shows that there's a little bit of a shift of thought. So he's taught us one thing, but now there's, and it's about to shift the other direction. But usually it's, it's, it's these, these moments of you were sinful, but God saved you. Here's a little bit different. Because we're told to pray to not be led into temptation. We're, we're, we're told that it's good to, to, to pray for God's protection. But, see this word's there because sometimes God does lead into temptation. Just a few chapters before this, we read how, how Jesus 
was led into temptation. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So if God never led us into the place of temptation, we would not need to pray for deliverance. But why would he do this? Why would he do this to his own son? Why would he do this to Job? Why would he do this to all of his children, all of his disciples? Well, first, I would say through trials, God shows us what's in our hearts. He shows us what's in our hearts, namely faith. For example, when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, God revealed Abraham's faith. God knew it was there. But without the trial, Abraham would have never known the kind of faith that he had. And he would not have experienced the strengthening of it. You see, Abraham himself got to know the faithfulness of his God through his own testing. And his faith was strengthened by his, uh, his temptation. You see, trials, as, as Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7 on the screen, trials burn away any impurities in a believer's faith. And what is left is purified, genuine faith, like the pure gold that emerges from the refiner's flame. So in the end, when, when you endure difficulties, when you endure trials, when, when you endure testing, when you feel the pressure of life, man, you find out really what your faith is made of. In those moments, you find out what kind of faith you actually have, who you actually trust in. So that's one way. But also God, through trials, God shows us that what's in his heart, namely Grace. You see, our testing is actually God's demonstrating. He knows the result before it happens. So through our trials and temptations, it's kind of like God is just saying, just just trust me here. I'm going to show you how faithful I really am. Stick with me because I'm about to show you my glory. Of course, Abraham had victory. But what if we give in to temptation? What if in those moments, and I think back on, on my week, the moments where, where I sinned, and I'm sure everyone in here can, can think and, and stop and think for a moment, and this time, in this moment, I really blew it. I sinned against my God, and I sinned against my neighbor. But I want you to understand that, that, that sinning doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have faith. Sinning does show that our faith is still impure. And it will remain to be impure until we see Christ face to face. When we no longer look at the glory of Christ through the eyes of faith, but we look at the face of Christ with our own eyes. But in those moments when you sin, if you are a true believer, God still shows himself by giving you another taste of his grace. Just think about Peter and Judas. Compare them. Jesus foretold both of their temptations. Jesus foretold both of their betrayals. So what's the difference? Well, it was 
faith in Jesus. That was the difference. Peter turned back. Peter trusted in Jesus. Peter trusted that Christ would forgive him. And his faith proved genuine. Peter did what John wrote about in 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. You might be sitting there with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame over other mistakes that you've made over recently. You might look at even this afternoon and think, ah, I really blew it. I really gave in into temptation and, and I fell. See, what, what shows whether or not you truly have faith in Jesus, whether you truly have faith in, in the gospel, is whether or not you trust that Christ died for that sin. And you lean into him. And you allow him to embrace you. And you are reconciled with him. And you confess that sin. You don't hide it. Because you understand that he died for that sin. And he is my advocate before the heavenly father. And he said already that I am not guilty. See, in these moments, when you experience his reconciliation and peace, it will strengthen your faith and you will just keep turning back to him and turning back to him and turning back to him. He is strengthening your faith to repent. He is strengthening your faith in his, his grace. And it will be refined like pure gold. Whereas Judas? Judas was exposed to having no true faith in Christ. He didn't turn back to his advocate. He took his sin... He took his guilt, he took his shame into his own hands and then he hung himself with him. You see, what we do when we fall into temptation says everything about us. It says everything about our faith. If you run from Christ, if you run from his means for purifying and strengthening your faith, which is the word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God, if you run from those things and you go into isolation or you, you cover it up, this testifies to a dead faith. It's a faith that doesn't trust in the cross. It's a faith that doesn't understand the, the, the death and resurrection of Christ. And my friends, if, if that's how you're living right now, living in secret unconfessed sin and just dealing with it on your own, taking it into your own hands. Oh, you should tremble before the wrath of God because a living true faith turns to the mediator, turns to their advocate. So we pray for deliverance before temptation. We pray. Which leads us to the third question. How then, how then does God deliver us from evil? So there's a little bit of, of debate about this. Again, we're, we're working with translations. What are, is what we prayed earlier correct when we said deliver us from evil? Or is the, the NIV, as, as is on the, the screen, 
deliver us from the evil one. And quite honestly, I probably am not going to solve that argument. I had a, a load of commentaries, and it was 50-50. So you probably can't go wrong with either translation. On one hand, you can say the evil one, and we can go straight to talking about Satan. On the other hand, there's, we can think of it in a little more broad terms. Evil can, can entail Satan, evil, the evil one, the evil ones, or just the, the evil that resides in our own hearts. I think I have a preference for the latter, but either way, I'm quite sure that, that when, you, when you see how Matthew wrote this in, in chapter 6 and, and knows that his readers would have just, just, just read the story about the temptation of Christ, I think he would have realized that we would be associating the two, right? So I feel like we, we have to talk about Satan. We have to talk about the evil ones, unclean spirits, because here in the West, we're really not prone to do this. Am I right? We, we tend to disregard thoughts about Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare. We probably don't pray very often, deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from unclean spirits who are, are going to tempt me the, the moment that I get out of this spot. However, in other parts of the world, thoughts about the spiritual realm just absolutely saturate people's minds. So for the first eight years when, when I was living in, in Russia, I was doing evangelism and church planting among a minority ethnic group called the Udmort people. And they were mostly uh, pagans. They, their, their religion, their primary religion was an animistic religion. And I was often struck by their keen awareness of demonic attacks, their devotion to to make offerings to appease spirits and the abundance of stories of possessed family members. We found that, that when evangelizing people and studying the Bible, we always made sure to read the story of the man possessed by the legion and, and time and time again they say, oh yeah, I have an uncle that's like that. Oh, my, my husband, that's, that's what happens to him. No man can, can, can restrain him. And many would just live in constant terror of the spiritual activity happening around them. So how should we talk about Satan? You know, here, here in the UK, do, do we kind of ignore it? Or do we obsess about it? I, I think C.S. Lewis said it best. He said there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by, by both errors and hell a materialist or magician with the same delight. So I think that's a, a pretty healthy way to go about this. Because the Bible certainly has much to say about the devil and unclean spirits, but but it's more focused on the activity of God and his authority over them. So if you're a true Christian, Satan prowling around like a, a roaring lion should not strike terror into you. Although we are helpless before the prince of darkness, God has dominion over Satan. And in the, chapter, in, in the opening chapter of Job, you all remember, we see that, that God had lengthened the leash of Satan to, to lead Job into temptation when he said the words, all that he has is in your hand. 
However, as one author points out, he said, he told us to, to note Job's reaction. When Job responded, he did not focus on Satan. Job had discovered with many of us that it is small comfort to focus on the freedom of Satan to destroy. Oh, there is more security, more relief, and more hope, and more support, and more glorious truth in despising Satan's hateful hand and looking straight through him to God. Looking straight to him, to God, for the cause of our trouble and for his mercy. So what's he saying there? In other words, he's saying that, you know, it's better to focus on the fact that God is so sovereign, that his rule is so powerful, that he has our troubles and Satan's activities completely under his control. Church, you have to understand that no power of Satan can frustrate God's plans for his people. No evil can hinder his providence working for our good and for his glory. If God is for us, who can be against us, Paul said. So how does this deliverance happen? Again, obviously the the scriptures talk a lot about, or at least a little bit about, dramatic exorcisms. But if you really think about scriptures as as a whole, the much more pervasive ministry was the ordinary but no less supernatural ministry of the word for delivering people from evil. See, true deliverance from evil only happens through repentance and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus commissioned Paul, this is what he told him. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. How do they get this? So you, you, you clearly see that, that what was emphasized to set people free from the, the power of Satan, it wasn't exorcism or, or deliverance techniques that are actually even in our time being promoted by some so-called Christian movements. No, it was to be, people were to be delivered by the proclaimed gospel received by faith. It is the gospel received by faith is what sets us free from the power of Satan. It is the gospel clung to by faith every day in the Christian's life is what sets us free from the evil one. It is what delivers us from all evil. Only unwavering faith in the gospel can deliver us. See, evil will tempt us with deception. And particularly, as as we see in in these verses, deception through false teaching. The New Testament calls Satan and says that he is disguised as an angel of light. There are many people standing out there saying, I am teaching good things, godly things, and they are being moved by Satan himself. But the gospel delivers us with truth. The story of, of Jesus Christ, life lived for us, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, where he took our sins upon him, our punishment upon himself. 
and died so that we didn't have to, and his, his resurrection so that we could someday also be resurrected. This story, this truth, is what will deliver us. And it's the only thing that will deliver us. And this is why, everyone, this is why we emphasize teaching so much in our church. It's not because we ignore Satan. No, it's because we're very, very aware of Satan and his evil schemes. The evil one is flooding people's minds with, with false gospels and, and empty promises, and they are, are stuck in his trap. And if we want to help others escape from the trap of the devil and, and repent, we must unceasingly hold out the truth to them. We must unceasingly herald the truth to this world and boldly proclaim the truth to one another, as Ephesians 4 says, to speak the truth to one another in love. But evil also tempts us with worldly gain. As Satan tempted Jesus with with pleasure, just eat some of this bread. It'll make you feel better. Perhaps some of you have heard his voice. Oh, your wife has neglected you. Just, just look at some pornography. You'll feel better. He tempted him with power. All this, it can be yours. All the kingdoms, it can be yours. Just, just take the shortcut. Did Satan whisper to you, you know what? People would like you a lot more if you just lie a little bit. You could get ahead in life if you would just cheat a little bit. Satan schemes. He tempted Jesus with, with pride. If you would just do this thing, oh, everyone, everyone will love you for it. Are you, are you making Instagram and Facebook posts just, to, just because you need that pride boost? Just a few likes. Just put your image out there so that everybody will just admire you. Evil tempts us with worldly gain, but the gospel delivers us with loss. Paul said, I count on everything this world Pleasure, pride, power, it's, it's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. God, you can, you can have my, my social media. You can have my, my worldly possessions. You can have my, my career. You can yank my family up and send them to another country unexpected. It's all yours as long as I know that you're with me. All of a sudden, we see what the value of those things really are. See, Satan offers us every conceivable temporary gain to entice us away from our our faith in the future glory. But through the gospel, we see that such idolatry only makes us miss out on the one true treasure. The one true treasure is eternal life through knowing Christ and gaining his righteousness. What do you live for today? Are you living for what brings you pleasure now or are you sacrificing and losing so that you may gain so much more, infinitely more for eternity? So what's the problem? Did the devil make you do it? No, evil. 
evil also tempts you just with, with your own desires. We have all these, this, these sins, these, these passions, these evil passions and de- desires built up in our hearts and, and we, we're just looking for a way to fulfill them. But they destroy us. They bring guilt. They bring shame. They bring regret. But only the gospel delivers us from these. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, and you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit just comes into our hearts and, and, and transforms us and, and, and fixes our, our, our eyesight and fixes our, our focus. And for the first time, we, we see the face of Christ in the light of the gospel of the glory of God, and, and it transforms us. The gospel gives us eyes to see what is infinitely more valuable, infinitely more desirable, infinitely more satisfying. And it's all in Christ. And it's all in that one story of God becoming man, living a sinless life, dying in your place so that you could have eternal life. And we have an unwavering hope, an unwavering confidence that 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 inheritance is waiting for us because he rose again. Oh, I hope you have seen him in this way. This, this is what conversion really is. You were at one time in darkness, and now you see light in the face of Christ. I hope that you desire to be delivered from all evil and all, all temptation that, that would block that view of the beauty and the power of Jesus Christ. So friends, I just want to encourage you to, to fill your mind with that vision Fill your mind with the word of God and and pray the word of God until all that worldly passion is crucified. Put it to death so that you might gain more knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray to you. Lead us not into temptation. God, we ask, to ask of you, by your mercy, would you intervene in our lives this week? God, you, you promised us in your word that you would give us nothing, the, the, no temptation which we, we couldn't bear because we know that your spirit is at work in us. But God, we pray in moments when, when you just see that we're just barely, barely hanging on, God, that you would use all of your power and all of your authority to lead us into a different direction. Save us from temptation this week. But God, if, if you find that it is good for us as your children, if we need your discipline this week, 
if we need to grow this week, God, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the gospel at work in which we believe and which we proclaim, that you would deliver us from the evil one, that you would deliver us from the evil ones and that you would deliver us from the evil that is in our own hearts. In Jesus' name.